everyone hear me back in the back? A little technical difficulty there. Somebody tied this thing in knots. I don't know. All right. Well, it's good to see you out tonight. This must be the cream of the crop if you're out tonight, especially come hear me lead the class. So that being said, I'm thankful that you're here. Before we begin our class, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity that we have to come together and to study your word. We pray that as we study it, that we will open up our hearts, and we pray that the things that we learn in your word, that they will strengthen us and make us better servants of yours tomorrow. We pray that we will be considerate of one another. We pray that we know that each one of us are maybe at a different spot in our biblical knowledge, but please help us to uh, edify one another, to study, to bring out points that will help us all to grow stronger and closer to you. We ask you to be with those who were mentioned that are sick, and we ask you to be with us as we depart this place tonight, and help us to gather again once again at the next appointed time. This we all ask in your son's holy name. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter... 21, Matthew chapter 21. Tonight we're going to talk about boldly praying. We've we've hit several different points in prayer with Jesus particular. Matthew chapter 21, I'll be reading verses 18 through 22. Now in the morning when he was Returning to the city, he became hungry, seeing a lone fig tree by the road. He came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did this fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Also, let's flip over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 20 through 24. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Wherever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you, of your transgressions. 
But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Now, in both of these passages, is Jesus literally talking about moving a mountain? Okay. I think you're exactly right. Um, Whether it's a mountain or not, he's talking about prayer, and he's talking about having faith in God, and he's he's taking us back, he's making us step back and realize that we must have faith and we must believe what we're asking is going to happen. But we got to also remember the model prayer when it talks about um, where Jesus explains in prayer, thy will be done. If what we're asking is God's will, it will happen. Now whether we ask for a mountain to be moved is that God's will? I don't know. I've never seen a mountain move, not saying that it can't be done. But I do think he is talking about the mountains we're going to face in life. I think he's talking about mountains that that the things that, that, that we face in life may seem that we can't handle, that we can't deal with, or that there's things that we can't do anything about. And after reading these scriptures, I was thinking about, okay, where am I going to go with this? We have, we have bounced around many different scriptures with Jesus in prayer. And we've got uh, four more weeks. So my mind started thinking on the rest of the Bible. And I'm just curious, where does your mind go when you think of some character in the Bible who is bold and who prayer comes to mind. Paul? Daniel. That's who I'm looking for. Who else was mentioned? Hannah. Okay. My mind kept going to Daniel. I'm thinking Daniel. He prayed three times a day and I thought, well, why don't we do Daniel? Why don't we look at Daniel and let's pick out some, some situations in the book. And a lot of times when we think about Daniel, where does our mind immediately go? It goes to the lion's den. Maybe the great statue, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's so many prophecies that are laid out in Daniel, you, but we always, it's kind of like we always, our mind is totally focused on that one event instead of what's leading up to that event and what maybe helped them get out of those events and survive. And that's kind of what I want to look at tonight. So let's go to Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now notice, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with the with some of the vessels of the house of God, he brought them to the land of Shemar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including 
some of the royal family, and of the nobles, youths in whom was no, no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king here is obviously a very smart man. He is surrounding himself with the most talented people from the royal family and Israel. We're all familiar with this story. This king appoints them on a daily ration from the king's choice food and wine. From the king's choice food from his table, they would be educated three years. At the end of the three years, these young men would enter into the king's personal service. At this point, Daniel will be known as Belshazzar, Hananiah would be known as Shadrach, Mishael would be known as Meshach, and Azariah as Abednego. Take notice of how Daniel is always bold, but very diplomatic, compassionate, and persuasive. And all at the same time, his number one objective is doing God's will. Notice in verse 8, Daniel is convicted to do what is right, but he is persuaded by asking permission from the commander. Not wanting to put him in harm's way, he reasons with him to compare the four to the other youth after ten days. After the three years, all four are picked to enter the personal service of the king. Daniel 1, verse 19. Now question. During all this, do you think Daniel was boldly praying to God? You think what, what he put himself in harm's way here. Um, you know, this was something that, that he had to do secretly. He had to get permission from the guy in charge. And if the guy in charge was found out, then there would be a price to pay. So do you, what do you think that they were doing through all this? We're going to get to a verse toward the end of the lesson that will point this out, exactly what they were doing. Comments? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I just think it was so neat how he is so persuasive he, he's not like arrogant. He's, he's not like boastful with, with, you know, his religion or his beliefs. But he goes about it in a way that's not abrasive. He goes about it in a way that, in the end, it's going to bring God glory instead of uh, bringing problems. Instead of him just going at it, you know haphazardly. He's going at it in a diplomatic way, which in the end is going to show God's glory. All right, let's move on. Daniel chapter 2, the forgotten dream. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. 
So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made rubbish. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and a great honor. Therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and he will declare the interpretation. The king replied, And I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered, and the king said, There is not a man on earth who can declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this in any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods. Now catch this, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. This will come out later. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree went forth and the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion. Here goes diplomatic Daniel again. And discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men in Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested to the king that he give him time and order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now notice how Daniel does not react immediately. He, he's, he's asking the king for time. He don't want to make a, a rash decision. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, of the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning my, this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So here, I want to call them the Fantastic Four. You know, we always think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then we think of Daniel. If you'll notice at the beginning of this this book, they're kind of a unit. They came in together. Here they are praying together because all four of them are risking being put to death here if they can't interpret this dream. But what's funny to me, too, there must have been some time passed between chapter 1 and chapter 2 because when they were picked, um, if you go back to uh, verse 19 in chapter 1, it says the king talked with them, and out of them 
All not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So you see here, he, he already recognized their greatness, but evidently they hadn't been approached to interpret this dream. So Daniel finally gets the chance, and then as we pick up again in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, and you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matters. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch from the king and appointed that was appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the Another interesting point here about Daniel, he was not only just concerned about him and his three friends, he was concerned about all of the wise men of Babylon. That shows you the character of Daniel. Um, you know, they, Daniel and his three friends, they were in exile. But the other wise men were at home. But he was still concerned that he did not want harm to come to even the other wise men. Comments or questions? All right, we'll move on. Now, the interpretation of the dream... This interpretation of the dream goes on and it talks about this, this great statue. And it talks about the, um, the kingdoms that will be coming. It talks about um, the Babylon will be the first kingdom, the Medo-Persians and the Greeks, and Greece and then Rome. And then, of course, down, if you'll follow me, and down in verse 44... Of chapter 2, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. What kingdom is that? That would be the church. That would be the church. And then shortly after this, after Daniel explains his dream to the king, picking up in verse 46, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering of fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Since you have been able to reveal this mystery, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief 
perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request to the king. Now here he goes, being diplomatic again. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. So here they're promoted. And shortly after this, in chapter 3, the king builds this great golden image shortly after this. Now, the king puts out a decree that, that they are to bow down and to worship this image. The king made a decree, this is verse 10, that everyone who hears the sound of a horn, a flute, a lyre, a trigon, a psaltery, a bagpipe, all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now we know how the story goes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm picking up in verse 16, replied to the king. Now I want you to notice how different Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego approach or try to communicate to the king about this. Uh, Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Pretty bold, isn't it? I mean, it's totally different to how Daniel uh, possibly would have handled this. Um, I guess in some sense it's good to be bold, but in this situation, of course, we all know how the story ends and how it turns out. Have you ever wondered where Daniel was during this? They were facing all this together at first. And now, where's Daniel? He's, you know, a power figure now. So he, where was he? I often wondered, you know, why he's not mentioned here. You know, was he away somewhere? Speculation. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Andrew? Good point. It's interesting too how the king kind of one moment he's 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 seeing their God and his power, and then he flip flops over and turns it to materialistic things. He makes a statue or he makes, you know, some image. And then he it's almost like he he wants to turn everybody's uh, worship to him. And it's just like a cycle, as, as we'll see here, here shortly. Um, as if we pick up in verse 24 of how Nebuchadnezzar responded to the fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, Was it not three men that were cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied, O king, certainly, O king. He said, Look, there are four. 
men loosed walking about in the midst of the fire. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, your servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out in the midst of the fire. The satraps, the, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies of these men, nor was their hair on their heads singed, nor their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent him, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their, their bodies so as uh, nor to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way, then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. <coughs> Very interesting. And then, as we go even further into the next chapter, the king acknowledges God. Now for the next interpretation, the vision of the great tree. This, this is another one that really, really hits home and really brings Nebuchadnezzar down to his knees. Um... Daniel, Daniel basically interprets this to the king. I'm not going to read all this. <clears throat> My voice is not going to hold out that long. But I'm going to pick up on the part here that I, that I really want to point out. Um, what I'd like to point out is how the king responds when he goes through all this. Um, <clears throat> and to me, we talked about mountains earlier. And for this king, you got to look at the things that he has had to face, that he has went through. And he's seen all these miraculous things happen through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now he's fixing to endure something that's, um, I don't know if you could compare it to that of Job, but he's fixing to be uh, stripped of all of his materialistic things and he's going to be pushed out in, into uh, nature as an animal. And he's going to be basically the only thing he's got to look to and to put his hope in would be God. Now he has, you got to think, he's the great king of Babylon. And you got to look at the power that he had at his hands, at his disposal, and the things that that he's had to go through, but he, it seems like he keeps being cursed by these dreams. These dreams keep coming to him at night. I'm going to pick up here in, in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king 12 months later. He was walking on the roof of his royal 
palace in Babylon, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and from your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whoever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of the heaven, and his hair grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of this period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised up my eyes toward heaven, And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand. Or say to him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. And so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, For all his works are true, and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. That kind of hits home, doesn't it? But he had to be totally exiled. You know, we talk about the Jews and and Israel when they were exiled. Um, You know, they, they were taken from their home, but they were taken to a place they still had a means to make a living. They still had food. They just weren't in their home. But can you imagine going through what Nebuchadnezzar went through in comparison to what he was used to? I think that's a mountain. But sometimes that's what it takes for some of us to recognize God is to everything be removed and all we have is 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 nothing. Question or comment? I see a lot of wheels turning out there. All right. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Andrew? Well, we have many examples throughout the Bible in different ways, you know, where it seems like some of them are drawn out and some of them are immediate. I guess we never know, you know. It's, I guess that's what keeps us on our guard, I guess, that we, we never know. We can't, we, we, want, we know God's long-suffering, we, we know he's compassionate. Um, we know he loves us, but yet how many chances does he give us? You know, Here Nebuchadnezzar has seen all these great things, but he, still, he was still stuck on himself. 
He was still stuck on his power. He was still stuck on that he had done all this. But this whole thing, it's happening. Even, even them being exiled to Babylon was part of God's plan. I mean, this is part of God's plan that was being played out because of the unfaithfulness of Israel. It's, it's, it keeps playing and playing. Um, let's get into chapter 6 a bit. We're, we're, we're steadily running out of time. I want to make a, a point in that chapter, and then we can, we can talk more. Chapter 6. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. Now here we've, we've changed kings. Uh, that they would charge the whole kingdom and over them the commissioners of whom Daniel was one. And these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could not find a ground to accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch he was faithful and not negligent or or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came to the agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom and and the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce the injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days, shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered into his house, now in his roof chamber, where he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then those men came by in agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard the the statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel, and even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by in agreement 
to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statement which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave the orders to Daniel and brought him and cast him into the den, into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent night spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at the dawn and the break of the day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den, he cried out with troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you have constantly served been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut up the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you. O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found in him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders that they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people and the nations and the men of every language who were living in the land, May your peace abound. May I decree that I, all the dominion of my kingdom, men are fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God that endures forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions." So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Is that not amazing? But then there was the answer to what we were talking about earlier. Daniel had been doing this, not just in this particular event. It said, as his custom. So he had been doing this all along. So my whole point in this whole lesson is, Three times a day, we, you know, there's a song, Oh, Daniel prayed every morning, noon, and night. It doesn't say morning, noon, and night, but it goes well with the song, if anybody's heard the song. But um, Boldly and persistently, we need to pray. And there's a big difference between boldness and being arrogant. And I think we've seen a great example through Daniel of how he's diplomatic his number one objective was to serve God. He was bold to go to different governing officials and work with them in order to fulfill what was God's plan all along. And I think that's a great example for us. Is we know what's right in, in dealing with people as far as evangelizing people, but we still we have to use this same example of being 
being a Daniel. We have to learn how to work with people and persuade people in a way that we can lead them to the, to the truth. And I think our, our prayer life is, is key in that. Um, morning, noon, and night. Oh, Daniel prayed. So, questions or comments? We're almost out of time. I know I've talked a lot. I've read a lot. I apologize, but um, we've got something good. Brother Lentz made a point a couple weeks ago about it's a country song. Y'all may know. You've heard it, I'm sure. Jelly Roll is the artist, but uh, if I only talk to God when I need a favor, and the only time I pray to God is when I don't have a prayer. It's something to think about. You know, so thank y'all. Have a safe trip home.